Hello, and welcome to the Vivolution podcast. Since starting in late 2016, Vivolution has been creating inspiring events for the plant-powered generation. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by plant-based thought leaders from the Vivolution stage. Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to announce that tickets for Vivolution Festival, the UK's leading plant-powered positive change festival, are now on sale. It's back, bigger than ever, and will be taking place on the 16th of November at the British Film Institute on London's South Bank. Expect a bigger lineup, more incredible food, interactive workshops, engaging panels, and lots more. Visit our website at www.vivolution.co for more information and tickets. Biff Burrows is the co-founder of vegan junk food business, Biff's Jack Shack. In this talk, Biff explores his whole entrepreneurship journey, from what inspired the legendary jackfruit junk food venture to his top tips on running a business. This talk was recorded at Vivolution Topics Business 2019. Um, before we start, I just want to say I was on my way over here and I was a bit nervous, you know, a bit nervous about giving a talk, and uh, my friend... He texted me, he said, just imagine the audience as aubergines. So that's what I'm doing, just so you know. That's, that's what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so, let's start with a quote. Um, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. It's kind of the fundamental thing about veganism, right? I mean, I, I've made a change. Some of you, all of you have made a change. And we have to live through that change, and we have to hope that Others might make that change, and maybe we'll get somewhere. Maybe we'll make a difference. If there's one thing that I've learned from starting Biff's Jack Shack, it's that running a business is not really about having an ideal and saying, I'm just going to go there, right? Because, you know, you're not going to get there in a straight line. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, if you're going to change the world or just make a bit of money, which is fine, you know, making money, it's not a dirty word, um, you're going to have to change a lot on your journey. You're going to have to change a lot of things. You're going to have to be the living, breathing, walking embodiment of change. So my name's Biff Burrows. This talk is called Eat, Don't Sleep, Change, Repeat. And these are some of the changes that I've made. So the first one, Eat, it's the easiest one, right? It's the most fun. That's the change that started the whole thing for me, and I thought I might as well tell you why I'm vegan. Um, well, I didn't plan to go vegan. It, it, you know, it's not something that happened overnight. Um, when I was younger, that's my older brother, Mark. When, I, uh, he, when he was six, he proudly declared that he was vegetarian to my parents, who had to go and speak to the dinner ladies at school in the mid-80s, that they had to prepare special meals for him. And, um, and I saw him get taunted in the playground afterwards, and I thought, hmm... I'm not that brave. I'll leave that to him. You know, I'm a meat kind of guy. Um, so fast forward, you know, 20, 25 years, and as all good stories seem to start, I met a girl, Krista. The beer as big as her head. Um, a vegan girl. A vegan girl of 10 years. Before it was cool, she'll have me tell you. Um, and... She opened my eyes. She opened my eyes to things that I never really thought about before, about things that happened in the dairy industry and, and agriculture. But she never pushed me, you know? That was the thing. She never pushed me. 
I think the, one of the main reasons that I went vegan was because I was never told to. I would run a mile if I'm ever told to do something or expected to do something. So I think that kind of shaped the vegan that, that I am today and it, it shaped the kind of vegan values that my, my business has. Um, incidentally, there were times where before I was vegan, she would make me a bacon sandwich. That's when you know you found the one. Um, so yeah, so she let me realize it on my own. Um, as a side note, um, this is outside the BBC. This is the first time we ever went on live TV and we were really excited. It was a Sunday morning show and um, I told that story about how Chris sort of helped me become vegan. And uh, after we finished, we just went straight on social media to see what the, uh, the response was. We were really excited. First time we've been on social media and the first tweet was this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Twitter. <laughs> That didn't stop us. Um, I mean, I made that change, that first change, and that led to a bunch of other changes, a bunch of realizations, a bunch of revelations, if you will. Um, revelation one, there was no going back. I'd quit things before, but this was different, you know? There was a principle behind it, and I just knew that I couldn't go back. Revelation two, no secret eating. This was tough <laughs> because before I'd gone vegan at home, before I went fully vegan out of sort of respect, and I only told Krista this very recently, um, I used to cycle from Primrose Hill to Lewisham every day after work, and I could engineer my route home to go through town past Shake Shack, Meat Liquor, Byron, and any chicken shop in South London, pick one, and I did, most days, <laughs> on the way home. Then I'd arrive home, cook a nice vegan meal, eat it, and be like, oh, I'm stuffed. Um, there was none of that. It couldn't happen anymore. So that was my favourite food. I, I love junk food. I'm a, I'm a junk food addict. What can I say? Where was the junk? Where was the junk? There was a bit in London in a few years back, but not as much as I wanted, you know? Like, I was annoyed, like, Revelation 3 made me mad. It made me mad because just because I was vegan, why should I settle for less? You know, why should we settle for less? And, and that really sort of, like, led to Revelation 4. Why should we settle for less? Um, so now I had a purpose, right? I wanted to make that food. Now I had a goal, and now I had a fire in my belly. I was probably hungry, but that's sort of beside the point. Um, I was going to make vegan food, tasty, sexy, and damn right filthy. <laughs> that was my mission. So part two, don't sleep. You're not going to sleep. You're starting a business. Change faster. Luckily for someone starting a food business, I was a cook. I loved cooking. Every day I would get home and I wasn't the type of person that would relax. I'd go straight to the fridge and stare in it until I could decide what I wanted to cook. Um, so I realised that if I wanted that junk food that I wanted so bad, I was going to go. Ha I was going to have to go out and cook it. You know, I was actually going to have to go and do it myself. And as the name of the business or the outlet suggested, jackfruit came as an answer to that. Um, we fell in love with it travelling around Indonesia. They use it in curries and stuff, and I just thought it texturally, it was just. It was so good, it was so amazing, and it was the perfect meat replacement for pulled pork or pulled chicken, especially when I realised that no one was doing it like fried. No one was making it into wings and patties, the, the thing that I liked the most. Um, <laughs> and at that point, 
um, I got scared. Like, I, I wasn't scared to start a business. I was scared that we weren't going to get there quick enough. I was scared we couldn't start quick enough. And that was, you know, it really sort of lit a fire under me. I realised that there was this, like, movement, this vegan movement it felt like it was coming around the corner. We had this amazing product, and for the stars to align, we had to get to market as quick as possible. This was January. If we weren't trading by spring, summer, we would have missed that, that lucrative sort of street food bang that happens in spring. So we set a timeline. The timeline was maybe around four months, four sleepless, very, very difficult months. First thing, registered this kitchen. If you haven't registered a business, if you're here to learn about business and you haven't registered one, it takes minutes, right? Do it. Do it tonight. Do it tomorrow. Um, January 10th, I took this photo. This was the first ever Biff Jack Shack burger that I made. And it's essentially a KFC fillet towel burger, right? Because that was my favorite burger before I turned vegan. And I was blown away. I wanted to make that as good, if not better, than, than the real thing. So I decided to call it the KFC killer. <laughs> Krista said I couldn't call it that because I'd get sued. So that went out the window. Um, <laughs> uh, February the 10th, I got made redundant. That sounds like a bad thing, but actually it was a good thing. It, it made that decision for me. It, I was all in. I had nothing else, and I was going for it. Um, April 6th, I passed my driving test. Before you ask, I did start a street food business before passing my driving test, which is probably not the best thing. And obviously what led on from that was April the 23rd, I bought a van. Um, that was scary. I travelled to a small town, paid the guy in cash, sat in the van, and realised that, A, I'd never driven a van before. Um, B, I couldn't drive it away because I had no insurance. Uh, and C, when I finally did book the insurance on my laptop in the van like this, I had to drive around the M25, <laughs> the M11, and the North Circular for the first ever time. That, that was a sweaty day. Uh, <laughs> um, April the 29th, I bought a massive fryer that seemed to weigh as much as the... As, as the van, I didn't know how to use it. Um, it was one week before our first market. May the 5th, our first market. May the 4th, it was so close to Star Wars Day, I was really annoyed. Um, our first market, I was very nervous. We were very nervous. We got there, we couldn't put our gazebo up. Uh, we couldn't get the gas grill to work. Uh, the patties were coming out soggy because the, the, the oil was at the wrong temperature. The service was slow. But we did it, you know. We sold... 93 burgers that day. Um, we started something. It didn't matter how annoying it was, how bad it was, whatever. We, we actually did it. And, I mean, that's kind of the point of this first, uh, the, uh, this second section is there's no better time to start your business than now. Like, if you haven't started a business and you're thinking about doing it, start it. You don't need to line up everything it doesn't need to be written in the stars. You just need to say, I'm starting my business, and well done, you've started your business. That's how it worked. I can't begin to tell you how much went wrong over those first four months, you know? Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't. There's, you might have a, a place that you want to get to, but along the line, you're going to make so many changes, you know? There's no perfect path, so we kept focus on the bigger picture. We kept focus on what we wanted to achieve, we turned up, we blagged it, we didn't know what we were doing, but at least we could start changing things. And that was the most important thing. So part three, change as an entity, but more specifically, process. And process, it really did shape um, 
our business. At the end of summer 2017, only four months into starting the business, we were steaming. We were, we were really going for it. We had markets with Curb. Um, we had a Unilad video with 260,000 views. We've been featured in The Guardian as one of the top five places to eat vegan food in the whole of the UK, not just in London. Um, and we just signed our first permanent residency at a bar restaurant um, in uh, Stoke Newington. Um, so now we're up and running. Now we're hitting our groove. Change starts to become something that isn't just like a chaotic force that's pushed upon you. You need to start thinking about it methodically. You know, you need to start thinking, how can we change for the better? How can we, you know, how can we control our change? Um, so at this point, I'm probably going to take you back a little bit to tell you how I took influence to control our change. So picture the scene. It's 1998. Britpop is booming. Blonde highlights are cool. <laughs> and Adidas poppers, everyone's wearing them. It was a different time, all right? It was a different time. Um, I was a teenager. I'd been fired from my first three jobs. Um, <laughs> don't ask how. Um, but the fourth, that turned out to be quite important. Um, like most sort of um, teenagers in, in small towns, I wasn't, I wasn't a vegan, right? Um, but I did start working at McDonald's. I know that strikes fear into the heart of, of vegans. We, we don't agree with their ethics. Of course we don't. But I wasn't a vegan back then, you know? That wasn't... I was just a kid who needed money for Oasis albums, hair dye, and terrible sportswear, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's that, uh, and, and, and that's it. But McDonald's, it was a great place and not a great place. As a, any cocksure teenager, I just thought it was full of rules. I thought, this place is full of rules, just things that I, I might get wrong. Oh, you're not building the burgers right. You're not making the pancake batter right. But it wasn't until I looked back that I realised they weren't rules. They, they were hundreds of processes, hundreds of processes that had been refined over time in thousands of restaurants, millions of transactions. These, they were the masters. They were the masters at process. And, you know, my time there is something that I had to look back on. And as we grew, I really thought, like, what could I steal from my ears under the tutelage of the, the golden arches? Well, how can I turn that to good? Um, and so one of the things I would say was how meticulous their floor pans were. Every restaurant you went to was the same. They pop up, bang, boom, the same. And I just started doing that with, with every place we went to, whether it was gazebo, festival, pub kitchen, whatever. I would obsess over where people stood and where they made things, now, even to the point of like how you would abbreviate the dishes onto tickets, because like that's two, three seconds per order you can gain. And, and I wanted the slickest service. I wanted the best service around. Um, and we, we did that by constantly evaluating the micro processes, but, which was great and it really helped. But when we started to do bigger things like you know, full-scale massive festivals and even Box Park, which is one of our um, outlets, like, I realised that we had a ceiling. There was a point where we couldn't make any more food. Um, and I was trying to f figure out why that was. Like, we couldn't... We, there was a bottleneck, and I, I just couldn't stand for that. So I delved back into my previous life um, to see, you know, what it was I could take to, um, to sort of help with that. And um, I mean, you might think one of my most exciting days would have been our first market. It was very good, really exciting. Maybe when we first 
open box park. That was really great, really exciting. Maybe when I first proposed, when I first when I proposed to Krista, you know, that's really great and exciting day. But I'd have to say that it might have been the day that I bought this. <laughs> this is Binny. This is Binny the burger shoot, and she changed our life. She. It's amazing what one change can do. She was the pivotal piece in our process, high volume process plan. Um, and it enabled us to, to hold burgers for long enough to keep, keep them warm and keep the quality, but to simultaneously not slow service down. And it removed that ceiling. It removed that ceiling. It meant we, we could just go. Um, the first festival we used this at, All Point Seas, uh, last year, we did 900 burgers a day. 900 a day. And, and that's, that's all down to Binny. Thanks, Binny. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the key thing, I guess, to remember is that process, process is king. Don't be scared of it. And change is its most trusted advisor. Like, don't be fearful of asking what you're doing wrong, right? Ask your colleagues, ask your customers. How can we improve? Every now and again, just strip the whole thing back and build it up from the ground. And you just might find that piece, that piece of the puzzle that changes everything. So part four. So repeat, carry on changing. Don't stop. Don't stop. Um, I know it sounds like a 70s film with the questionable morals, but <laughs> bear with me. Um, in, in September 2017, uh, four months after we did our first market, um, we were flying, you know, we were happy with that success. Um, we had uh, the street food markets, we'd been in the Guardian. By September 2018, we were really ecstatic. I mean, so we'd done 11 massive festivals, we'd catered for Apple and Google, and we'd, we've headlined and continue to headline the biggest vegan festival monthly in, in, in London. Uh, we've got a central prep kitchen and a management team. We've been on national TV twice. We had a team a payroll of plus 20 people, um, and we just signed our first permanent space uh, in Box Park. Um, we even had a board of directors. I mean, I don't know about you, but before 18 months ago, the only board I'd ever been on was a skateboard. So I, I, I didn't know nothing about what, what this was doing, but we were motoring. We, we couldn't stop. And um, I don't know, like, it feels like that could be the end of it. That could be like, brilliant, well done, you've, you've made a business and you're going well, right? But that's not, that's not where it ends for us. Like, we're only just getting started, you know. We're only, the shack is only just getting started. Um, and this is why excellent vegan food can change the perception of what a vegan product is. It can change the perception of what, of what veganism is. Um, we've seen it firsthand. We give people that momentary piece of heaven. Every bite, you look in their faces, boom. And you see the cogs turning. Maybe this is okay. Maybe I can make a choice to, to, to buy some vegan food instead of some non-vegan food. And that sort of made us realize that maybe we could make a difference, right? Our food is our activism. And to continue with that impact, to continue making a difference, we know and we knew that we needed to take it to the next level. We're not going to stop now. Why stop now? We've got something. We're on to something. So just as, 
you know, I've been trying to sort of like work my way around burger shoots and fryers. Big businesses are out there trying to find their way around veganism. They, it doesn't surprise, it won't surprise you to say that we're in the great rise of veganism. Um, and I know that people might wince at the thought of working with big businesses, and we get that, we absolutely get that. But for us, we think that there's something to be had there. There's, there's something beneficial to take that movement to the next level. So, for example, right, last April, we participated in National Chicken Wing Day. Now, I know that that doesn't sound like a very vegan thing to do. Why would we be celebrating a day where people eat chicken? But we thought about it. We were the only people on the roster that were vegan, right? It's 50% off chicken wings. Surely that might tempt people to come and try it. It's 50% off. Like, what, you know, let's say you've got, you're not vegan and you're going with friends, whatever. Like, oh, what's 50% off? I'll give it a go. And, you know, maybe we could really just get to some people that we, we hadn't got to before. And another thing is that we really <coughs> wanted to sort of subvert the day and, and own the narrative. So, naturally, what we did was we hosted a vegan chicken wing eating contest, right? And as far as I know, as far as the internet tells me, that's the first ever one to be hosted in, in the world. Maybe the UK, maybe the world. We've, and it was, it was brilliant. It was just such a great day. We had a packed restaurant. We had contestants shoving chicken wings with hot sauce on down the mouth. People shouting. People even brought placards to like, support their friends. <laughs> it was, we're going to make this a yearly thing, by the way. Um, and it was so exciting for us that we participated in something that was bigger than us and that people maybe didn't expect us to participate in. But it was a huge success and it, and it felt like a really groundbreaking moment. It felt like maybe we can mix it with something that's big, bigger than us. Um, so then we went one bigger. We got a call from Hellman's uh, a few months later. Um, now, let's be clear. Hellman's are a business which is built on a model and some beliefs that we fundamentally don't agree with, right? We absolutely don't agree with. Um, however, because of the great rise of veganism, big businesses like Hellman's have to start reconsidering their stance on things. It's amazing vegan businesses and the movement by you and us and everyone that has made these people start to reconsider. And that is something that I feel like we should get involved with. Like, their mayo can go on any supermarket shelf, any supermarket shelf in the world, and it can sit next to the regular mayo going, hey, we're, we're the same, we're fine. Make a choice. Like, and, that, and that is something that we can get behind. Like, we don't, I'm not necessarily saying we agree with everything that Hellman's do, but if we can get behind that sort of change then maybe we can change something that's bigger than us, you know? We thought, like, to change the mainstream, sometimes you have to be part of the mainstream. And that's something that we really, really want to get to. That's somewhere where we really want to get to. So, what's our ultimate goal? Um, what well, I'm excited to say that we want to do that. We want to mix it with the big boys, like, and, the, and we're not afraid... We want, to, we, we want to produce our own retail range this year, 
because we've realised that the coalface of veganism is not really in street food in Hackney. That's not where it is anymore. It's, it's bigger. It's wider than that. It's, it's someone in Nuneaton buying a wicked healthy plant-based grab-and-go food in Tesco. It's someone in a pub in Dundee going out for a beer and burger and eating a Biff Jack Shack burger. You know, it's someone in Shepton Mallet wearing a vegan AF t-shirt. It's, it's moved on from then, and, and, and we, we've really got to think big. Um, and so the message that I want to say to you is that you have to change what you think is possible. Change, start somewhere, but by God, if you feel like you're ever... Something's in your way, change what you think is possible and you can get around it. So listen, thanks for uh, listening to me today. I know I called this Eat, Don't Sleep, Change, Repeat, but if any of you are thinking about starting your own business, I just want to leave you with one small bit of advice. Just get some sleep. <laughs> please, please, please get some sleep. Thank you. <clears throat> You seem like a pretty bubbly person, but there's <laughs> going to be times when your business, where you think, God, I don't know what to do. I'm hitting all time. Like, you know, how do you pick yourself up when you're in that situation or you're like, oh my God, I've got people to pay? And you see what I mean? How do you get yourself back to that high so that when you're stood in front of customers, you're bubbly? And it's a very good question. And I can be a bubbly person, but I spend a lot of my time not being a bubbly person. Um, and you're right. Bills to pay and, and commitments, they, they weigh on you. But you've got to find your goals. You've got to find the little things that you can achieve. Like I find things every day that I can achieve, and I just try and make them make me happy. Oh, oh today we, we, we found a new product that was a bit cheaper, or I finished the rotor. You know? like, or I had a good chat with one of my staff members, and they're happy, and they enjoy working for me. There's little things in, in the day that you've got to take solace from and not really try and let the whole thing weigh down on you because it will and you, you're absolutely right to bring that up um, so yeah my advice is try and find those little things throughout the day throughout the week those little milestones that maybe you've set yourself and you've achieved celebrate them take time to celebrate the things that you've achieved because <laughs> you need to sleep and if you don't sleep you, you're not going to really take stock of what you've achieved and believe me you, you will have achieved more than you think that's my advice. Hey, that was awesome. Thanks for Thank telling the story. <laughs> um, I just thought um, it sounds like you've built everything up um, on your own without kind of outside investment. But I just wondered kind it's of true. when you're starting something new, um, what your kind of thoughts were on that and how you kind of hit that, um, got that curve and then it all sort of took off. Uh, we were very lucky. Um, you, you, uh, the bit where I said that I got me redundant, I got me redundant and it meant that we had a little bit of money to put into it, but it wasn't, it was enough money to get the business off the ground. And we were lucky to hit the rise of veganism. We were lucky to hit a wave. Um, so we were lucky to, to immediately have a business that mostly was profitable. Um, I'm also lucky, this is not everyone can do this, but like, I'm supported by a fantastic woman um, who, has a job and also works for our company but also has a job and manages to essentially pay my bills <laughs> which means that I can put all my effort into the business and that truly 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 has, has been wonderful so 
yes, there's going to be times where you won't make money. Like, I think, I can't remember, I did a talk recently, and I said, one of the first things I said was, like, just accept that all your money is going to go, right? There's a, there's a South Park episode, and I can't remember, there's a bit where, where he's in the bank, and he's like, uh, okay, can I invest your money here? And he goes, mm, and it's gone. <laughs> okay, well, we've got this other thing you might want to invest your money in. Okay, let's do that. And it's gone. And some days and some weeks, <laughs> they're like that. The money, the money goes. Um, but you've got to have that confidence in, in where you're trying to get to. And on the investment point, it's totally possible. It's, it's, it's not as difficult or as unattainable or as complex or as you think. Investment, you'd be surprised how with a really good deck um, and, some, and some strong figures, you can impress people. You've just got to ask a lot of questions, shake a lot of hands. And every person you, you meet, if they're not interested, they can refer you to someone else who might be. Who might have a bit of advice for you. And then you follow this rabbit hole. And along the way, someone might go, I believe in that. I believe in what you're doing. Let's do it. You know, so it's, it's a tough question. Money is not always the easiest thing to talk about. We were lucky, um, but all I can say is just stay the course, you know, except that you will lose some money in the beginning at least. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, thanks. Uh, so it sounded as if everything went by really quickly from you were made redundant and you bought the van, you got the driver's license in whichever order yeah. there. Um, so how the product that you had for that first day, how, how well refined was that and how did you decide how much time to actually put into that before revealing it to the world? Um, yeah, well, like I said, the first like fully-fledged burger we made and that I was super happy with was around sort of February, but the first time we ever tried jackfruit was six or eight months before, and we started... I had the idea of making it into burgers and wings, I don't know, maybe three months before that, that very, that very burger, and we just did... A, yeah, you're right, we did a lot of refining. Um, we, so we did three months, I'd say, of uh, product refinement until we were happy. It could be better, it could, but like I said, like, you know, it's never going to be perfect, you know, it's MVP, right, minimum viable product. You've got to release and then get your feedback and make it better and better and better. It's never going to be perfect the same, the, time, the point it goes out, you know, so depends on the product really, depends on what you're trying to make. I guess it's difficult to answer the question directly, but I would say that just get it to a point where it's passable, where you're happy with it. Um, and then if you can test it in small doses and refine it and get feedback, then, then do that. Yeah, that was a really inspiring talk, so thanks Thank for you. that. I, I'm just quite curious, really, about your thoughts for the future in terms of succession planning, because what I understand from small startup businesses and uh, growing businesses is that if they take you away from the business, then yeah. you haven't really got a business. Um, so I'm just wondering if you've got like things in place structurally uh, where you have people that can basically do your job or are you somebody that likes to kind of keep control very much um, day to day with everything? It's a very good question um, and it's something that I am wrestling with and I, I still wrestle with. In short, the answer is I don't want to have control over everything but sometimes I can't stop myself, that just happens. Um, Finding good people that you trust enough to hand over large portions of your business to is, is really tough. Really tough. Because you've got to trust them. But the answer is you have to. 
I wrestle with that. It's one of my biggest things at the minute is I'm taking myself away from the coalface. I don't rotor myself onto any shifts in any of our locations, not one, because um, one, like I said, we've got bigger plans and, and, and the value of what I'm trying to, trying to do is, is, is above having to stand there and do this on a fryer, right? Their value is fantastic. The people that do that make the food that people eat, which makes our business what it is. But I'm trying to speak to people and do some things in, in other areas. So, yes, you, you have to. You have to do that. Start with one person that you like, that you trust. That Maybe they're, they're not a manager. Maybe they've not had any management experience before. But if, you, if they're dedicated, um, then they might, they might believe in you and they might believe in your company. And then give them a bit of responsibility and see how it goes. Right? That's, that's what I've done. I've just, okay, this person's good. They seem trustworthy. They, they work hard. Let's give them some responsibility. And then you can give them more and more and more and more. And eventually, yeah, you're right. You should actually portion off bits of your business to your management team. I have four managers, a kitchen manager, a market, an outdoor manager, um, and two store managers. Um, I have four managers. And... I still end up doing things in all of those places. So it's difficult to really push it all off. But um, when you see someone that you think has something, like believe in them and give them the responsibility and let them, and let them prove themselves. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us some positive feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. By doing this, you'll be helping get messages about inspirational, positive, plant-powered living into people's earbuds. Until the next time, take care, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.